in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well today. How are you guys? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing so well because we have a first-time guest. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? That's always exciting. I love it. So from the sunshine of Los Angeles, California, we have a Weinstein production... Evan Weinstein. <laughs> How's it going? Good, good. And uh, no, no, no relation to Harvey whatsoever. I'm so. just going to clear the air. No relation. No, no relation really. whatsoever. None. Okay. Uh, you know, it's real funny, real quick, a little story about that. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I had the, you know, the name Weinstein and everyone was like, oh, you're going to do great with that last name. And oh. then a few years ago, when I went to go join the Screen Actors Guild, there was like, there's already an Evan Weinstein in here, so you have to change your name. And so I was like, that sucks. <laughs> and so I end up changing my name to my middle name uh, because my parents gave it to me in case, you know, I ended up went into entertainment, like a stage name, which is Sloan. So I changed my stage name to Evan Sloan about six months before all of the stuff about Harvey came out, and it was the best decision I made. Great timing. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is great timing. <laughs> now, Evan, we want to get to know you a little better. Tell us about Superficial Intelligence. So Superficial Intelligence is a show that me and a friend co-wrote. It is currently streaming on the Ficto app. They are basically an app that kind of is trying to rival Quibi, but with less money. It's like a free app as opposed to Quibi is like a subscription-based. But anyway, so Superficial Intelligence was a show that I wrote and co-starred in, and we had five episodes up on this app. They are about five to six minutes each episode, and uh, yeah, it's a good little it's a good little time. Well, so it's free and available, so there's no excuse for anybody not to check it out. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now I'm gonna have to grill you a little more. These now the questions are gonna get even tougher from this point on. Let's go. All right. What is one small thing that one of your coworkers does that grates on you? Here's the thing. I work in social media when I'm not doing like entertainment business stuff. So one of the things that I'm always doing is, you know, working for companies or buildings or bars or restaurants uh, or even personalities and like posting on their social media as them. Now, the thing that bugs me the most is that the, the way that social media works is like the second you post something, you want as many people to comment and like and share as possible the second it goes out there so that the algorithms all, you know, go in your favor. Now, I could be working at a place with seven, eight people who are all on their phones, sitting there at their computers, whatever it is. And I'm like, all right, guys, I just posted. I need you to go like, comment, and share. And they don't. 
And then it comes to be a thing where you're like, come on, you guys, I'm doing this for you. Oh, and you mean the people you're like, doing it on behalf of aren't even doing yes, it? I thought you were talking about like, oh, I'm, you're constantly oh, no. bug your friends to do it. But no. Okay. No, not even the friends. I know that the friends won't do it. I'm talking about the people who work there in the store or work there, wherever it is. They just don't do it. Wow. Yeah. Talk about shooting yourself in the foot. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm trying to help you. Help me help you. Uh, Chad, I'm going to throw this one to you. And from the banking world, what is it something one of your coworkers does that creates on you? There's one particular one that drives me nuts. Uh, whenever we use Skype a lot, they enter each word as a separate ping. So I get hello, ping. And then like 10 seconds later, how was your day? Ping. And then 10 seconds later, I have a question, ping, and it goes on, and I sit back and just watch it for about two minutes as they speak to themselves, and finally they get to the point. So so watching as my screen gets like 10 or 15 dings for two minutes until they get to the point, that's, uh, that's what drives me crazy. Okay, okay, so uh, too much activity on your computer bothers you, not enough activity bothers Evan, so... <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm just going to throw it in there. I, I worked with this person who just had the worst fake laugh. Like, she just nervously laughs all the time when nothing was funny. And it was just like, I kind of call it like a car starting up. Like, ha, 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 ha. And like, yes. and like you could hear her at her cube, like, I don't know, 30 yards away. And she's just like, oh, how many times a day? Come on. <laughs> That's not like, I just wanted to sit up on my, like, cube like on top of my desk because i'm short and no i can't be seen over top of my cube and be like that's not funny what are you laughing at yeah <laughs> uh, so evan after a hard day at work what is your go-to movie to pick you up probably it's gonna sound weird but it's also my favorite movie of all time and it's terminator 2 that's a great movie that's not weird that's terminator not weird that's not weird at all sure. you even get a thumbs up in the end yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. The movie ends with a thunder. It would have been weird if you had said Terminator Salvation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, or Genesis. I just watched sure. that. That was rough. <laughs> it was not great. It was not great. The last one wasn't bad, though. Dark Fate was, was, was pretty good, actually. I liked it. That's why I watched Genesis, because like when it came out, I was like, I don't know that I need this. And then like it did, and then, so then they put another one out. I'm like, okay, well, now I got to do Genesis. So, like, so I'm, I'm, right. I'm working my way there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, what is the last movie you saw, Evan? The last movie I saw finished about two hours ago, and it was Vegas Vacation. Oh, love that movie. Love it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in forever, and I was just like, man, I'm going to put this on. And I laughed most of the way through. The damn scene is just terrific. The damn scene is just one of my damn favorite scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what movie are we doing today, Chad? We are doing 1999's Office Space. That's right. Office Space was made for a low budget of only $10 million. It grosses $10.8 million. So, hey, that's a profit. Not much. The, the studios don't really like you when you only do that. It, so it comes in at 134th in the box office that year. It comes in behind Cookie's Fortune at 133 and The Astronaut's Wife at 135. Uh, so that was not a prestigious company that it was with. The number one movie that year was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Chad, get your groan out now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Just I, I have to do it. And uh, IMDb gives this movie a 7.7. .7. The Rotten Tomatoes critics give this 
an 80% and a 93% um, from the audience score. Much higher, much more appreciated from the audience there. It wasn't promoted well, and the poster did not please the director, Mike Judge, and this just didn't seem to hit the right people. But a poor box office performance was overcome, and it gained cult status on TV and at-home video release, and so it made plenty of money, and people loved this movie, and it went on to make quite a nice profit afterwards. So there is redemption from failure in the theaters. Evan, had you seen Office Space before? If so, what was your background with it? I don't, I don't remember seeing it when it first came out. It must have been one of those things where I got it on like DVD or something. But it was like me and my my best friend growing up, This his name is Will. The two of us used to sit there and watch this movie all the time and just quote it like one line after another. I think at one point we knew the entire entire movie. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a very quotable movie. Yeah. How long has it been since you had seen it? I mean, I watched it again, and it had been years, like years, years. I'm talking maybe 10 plus. Oh, so it's been a while then. Yeah, it's been a while. Is it holding up for you now? Absolutely. I think, if anything, it's more relatable now. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, had you seen office space before absolutely it's a movie i actually got to this one the movie waiting when i was in the service industry really resonated with me we've talked about that on the show with uh ryan reynolds and i saw this either before or after i was kind of on like a workplace comedy kick so it was considerably later than when this was released but it's one that i tend to revisit every i don't know two or three years so I think this one had been about three years since I last saw it, and Evan nailed it. It becomes more disturbing, some of the things that... I'm like, yeah, that was funny then, and now it's my life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As for me, when I uh, saw Office Space, my wife Mary and I, uh, girlfriend at the time, watched Office Space first year of college, and I'd not seen it before, and I, I definitely heard some of the quotes that had come out of it and I didn't really know what they were pertaining to and this movie definitely connected a lot of those dots for me so I really appreciated being filled in for that and uh, we had a good time watching it as a group of people it's a very good group movie and it was fun yeah. to be introduced to it like as like everybody else liked it and they were like you got to see this movie sometimes that that's a lot of pressure for a movie to live up to but this yeah. movie certainly did live up to it I uh, didn't really fully appreciate it until I began work myself. So mm-hmm. once I got out in the workforce, you know, seeing it again, uh, <laughs> it uh, it definitely was like one of those things where it's just like things that were funny before are still funny, but now they're even funnier. Right. Now there's context. Wouldn't you say this movie gets better with multiple viewings though, Evan? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. There's 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 a bunch of movies like old school. I'm saying old school as if it's you know old. I'm talking like '90s comedies that I'll go back and rewatch, and there'll be a joke in there that I just didn't understand as a kid. And then like the more times you watch these things, like the more jokes you like actually start to understand. And yeah, I think that the more you watch this movie, the funnier it gets for sure. Definitely. Now, I want to let all the listeners at home know that there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Office Space and you don't want to know what's coming your way, go watch the movie and come back and enjoy the rest of this podcast. We'll be back after these messages. After these messages, we'll be right back. There we go. 
Do you love sci-fi, horror, and fantasy films? Then grab a badge for Otherworlds Film Festival, the country's premier sci-fi film festival. There will be Q&As, panels, parties, and mixers. Rub elbows with up-and-coming and established filmmakers, as well as like-minded filmgoers. Come celebrate our seventh year, December 3rd through 6th, at the Galaxy Highland in Austin, Texas. Badges are now for sale at otherworldsfilmfest.com. That's otherworldsfilmfest.com. All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead, so if you haven't seen Office Space, you're going to want to check it out. Now, for those of you who haven't seen Office Space since 1999, Chad, do you want to refresh people's memory? Let's get to it. Ron Levingston plays unmotivated Peter Gibbons, who is a programmer at Initech. Peter hates his job so much that he sees a therapist who hypnotizes him to not really care about his job. Initech is going through a downsize, and two of Peter's friends, Samir, who no one can pronounce his last name, and Michael Bolton, not that one, are scheduled to be laid off. Peter himself is thriving due to the hypnosis, and his straight-shooting attitude gets him a promotion after meeting with the downsizing consultants. He even gets a date with a cute waitress at the local ripoff of TGI Fridays. The three friends plot to skim fractions of a penny off all the transactions going through Initech, and then they implant a virus, but it goes horribly wrong. Peter winds up with over $300,000 in his bank account the very next day. The friends panic, and it's finally decided that Peter will return the money. He slips it under the door of his horrible boss and awaits his fate. To his great fortune, a disgruntled co-worker who had his beloved stapler confiscated and had been moved to the basement kept his promise and burned the whole place down. Peter gets a job in construction. Samir and Michael find new jobs. The money may have been lost, but Peter finally seems to have found contentment. Well done, well done. Now, I only recently learned what TPS report actually stands for. Uh, Test program set did not know that yeah yeah that's not usually what it meant but mike judge had to kind of shift it around otherwise it didn't make any sense he said that he had tps forms in his line of work so i mean we'll get into that a lot of this is very much to mike's uh experiences in an office so yeah right evan this is a story about boring people living and working in a boring office why is this so funny I think it's funny because you like you know people that are like that. It may not be you, it may not be your brother, but it's like your brother's friend. It's like, you know, the Milton character is like someone that when someone tells you a story about a person like a Milton type character, you end up telling that story to your friends and then it just kind of lives on and it becomes its own it becomes its own monster, so to speak, from that point on. And I just think that there's there's something about this movie that although it's about, you know, people working in a terrible office, like not many people have that kind of job, but yet you can just sympathize with how terrible it is. I just feel like that the this this movie is really about <laughs> it, it's about the workplace and it doesn't need to be a specific workplace because these characters just exist in your life in your day-to-day life. And that's why I think it's so like relatable and why it's so funny. Yeah. It's one of those things where I don't think we had seen a office type setting for a movie 
per se like this, at least not very commonly. And I think that's mm. why people wrap their arms around it so heavily. Chad, why do you, why do you think this movie gained that cult status? Well, I've got to point back to our big podcast. So we've got a, a lot of offsetting there, but I think it's the mundane things that he manages to capture here that really resonate. You know, from the very get-go when he's in traffic and it's at a standstill and he switches lanes. <laughs> and we've, we've all done this and only to watch the lane we switched start moving. Now he commits a party foul by switching again. But <laughs> you've got to commit. That's the rule. You switch once. That's all you get. But yeah, I, I mean, all of this stuff you've got. I've been in a cube now for 13 years. And I've had the multiple bosses all telling me the same thing. You know, the stereotypical co-workers that they have so many underlings, but they don't actually do anything. They just walk around with a coffee cup talking to people all day. Just normal interactions that kind of remind you of a Dilbert cartoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Evan, have you, just real quick, have you had a job at a desk in a cubicle in this world at all? Um, I don't know. I, I've never had a job at a desk at a cubicle, but I have worked in office buildings before. And my dad growing up had a, had an office. There wasn't cubicles per se, but close enough, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting as an architect, uh, you don't normally get this experience, but when I first started, I actually worked, uh, coming out of school at an engineering dominated company like it was an architecture company that was owned by a very large engineering company and so for the first seven years of my career i had cubicle walls that were over my head oversized cubicles that were ridiculously large but still like you couldn't talk or see peep to people i worked in a very generic office park way out by the airport and it's just it, it's so weird how this movie taps into that experience and it's so commonly it's every city in America has these. And so like you, to your point, I think you said like, if you, if you don't have this job, you probably know or very close to somebody who has this job. So Anatech is, you don't really know what they do. It's a tech company of some kind, but that's not the point. Like the, right. it's as generic as humanly possible. And by doing so, I think it resonates just with so many people. Well, even stuff like you mentioned, the engineering building, the the guy that I mentioned that didn't do anything, but he he's the people person. He mentions that engineers are terrible at dealing with customers. And yeah, that's that's the case with my job. We keep the engineers as far away from <laughs> any form of human interaction. So even stuff like that, it's like, oh, my goodness, that wouldn't have really been funny before. But now with our software engineers and stuff like they're sequestered they're in a the corner you have no people skills we actually do have people to deal with the customers <laughs> so this is before the tv show the office this is before the british office as well yeah. and i think that this kind of dilbert the cartoon comic uh, has been around for a long long time but it's one of those things where i think that this kind of opened up that gateway. I don't think people had thought about this as much. There were some TV shows that took place in the office setting that had gone prior to this, but not so dominantly off of office work culture. And uh, there was a gold mine 
of a relatable experience that they hadn't yet tapped into yet. And I think that that was really interesting. But also it's a movie about authority. Yeah. And this is why I think that this is, it, it connects to people beyond the office. Perhaps it, you're going to like it more if you're in an office, but there's just that condescending, I don't care about the people under me feeling that bad boss feeling. And it's sadly all too common for people out there. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, that's that's a thing that, like, it, why it's so relatable for so many people is that like, you have that boss. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be in an office or wherever, you know, this movie specifically takes place. It's like everyone knows a guy like Lumberg. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everyone knows a Bill Lumberg. Yeah, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you could just agree with me, that'd be great. <laughs> just kidding. I like. I like how. I like how uh, Lundberg would always go, "Yeah," but it means no. <laughs> he doesn't say the word no, but like he's just like. Uh, yeah, gonna have to disagree with you on that one. (laughs) (laughs) People like belonging to a collective group and they like it when their job is rewarding and they like it when they feel like they made a difference and that they can see that they did something and they feel like they're part of a team. And it's really sad that a lot of people out there don't like what they do. I've heard this phrase that like, if you like your job half the time, then you're better off than half the people. And I don't know, that's just conventional wisdom, so to speak, but it is one of those things where it's just like, man, that's really sad. I, I, I like my job and I like what I do, but I mean, you absolutely become encountered to it, whether it on the client side or whether it be people you we've been working with who just got into the wrong thing. And you see this really difficult existence. And so there's a lot of pain in there too for Peter uh, plunking away at something he doesn't like to do. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is like I had a summer job that I, you know, that's the only time I've ever like, like when I was in college, like was looking at the clock being like, it's 3.30. I can kind of leave it 4.45. And like, like, "Mm, it's not there yet. So (laughs) the I come in and I space out for an hour. You what? <laughs> I space out for an hour and then an hour after lunch. Yeah. Now, Evan, let's talk about their characters here. Peter is kind of a blank slate to some degree. I think uh, Ron Livingston said his job as an actor was to get you from one scene to the other and let all the other great, hilarious characters around make this movie for you. Why is Peter a good protagonist for this kind of satire? I think he's just the, it's the, he's like the perfect everyman, you know what I mean? Especially in this job, when you think about like that office culture and you think about, you know, the day to day, like who do you picture as like that Dilbert character? It's a, you know, a middle-aged youngish, like middle-aged to youngish, you know, white guy with, with brown hair. Like he's just the perfect like stereotypical person to be that character and you don't need him to overact or underact. He just has to exist. And I think by him existing and like the way that he played, like the way that Ron Livingston plays that character, it's like, it's perfect. I, I don't, I genuinely don't think that there's another person who could have, you know, done what he did 
for that role. Yeah, Chad, I I don't know if uh, you feel the same way, but it's just I think there's one interesting thing about him. Like he represents the what if you snapped kind of concept for the character. Yeah, I kind of could see Charlie Sheen doing this a little bit, but he just he nails the apathy. And I Mm -hmm. think that would be my dream as an actor, like go into a job and just play everything up as with as much apathy as possible. Just don't care. Do whatever you've always dreamed of doing. Just stop caring. And that would be awesome. <laughs> now, earlier we were talking about name associations that you didn't want to have. Michael Bolton. I can't believe just a simple applying this name and how much humor you get out of this one. But uh, what I like about Michael so much is just, he's just an angry ball of rage. Yes. And it's it's so funny. Again, this this character is a little more extreme. He represents the anger that I think is inside of so many people, but he he's unfiltered and just he just goes at it so i don't know michael really makes this movie so much better because like i said peter to your point is not necessarily the main dish like i don't know that he's the one getting most of the laughs for you right but it's his friends and the people that play off of him and how they react to the world around them and so michael's just so he, he represents uh if, if peter's the apathy and the i've had it with this then uh michael's the anger and the fury <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to think about it, though, right? Like this, this Michael Bolton character, essentially today, right? Imagine a guy who's 30 and just so happened to be named Justin Bieber. (laughs) Right? Like he just so happened to have the name Justin Bieber, but he's older than Justin Bieber. Like he existed before he did. Yep. So now everyone's just like, oh, my God, you're just you know what I mean? It's that it's literally that same thing. And it could it could be anyone. But I choose someone like that because, you know, there's a lot of negative that comes with with the name Justin Bieber as back then in the early, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. No one really cared about Michael Bolton, especially like, you know, pop culture. People was just he was kind of just like a, you know, a parody of himself. As a Chad, I understand having your name ruined later in your life. There you go. My name became some kind of internet meme for various things. Some are jerks. Some are really popular with ladies. I'm probably more of the first and less of the second. I feel for Karens now. If your name is Karen, you're having a bad time right now. Exactly what I'm saying. Wait, what is a a Karen? Is that just like a middle-aged mom? Oh, boy. Picture the uh, I want to speak to your manager haircut. There it is. The, oh, okay, uh, okay, you... yes. So yeah, I, was, I wasn't far off with the uh, angry middle-aged woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very specific haircut. Calls the police if you're doing anything that perturbs her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're right. You're, you're painting this. I, I feel like I do. We've all met Karen as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... All the Karens out there, I feel your pain. (laughs) Now, we kind of touched on him before, but what is the magic of Bill Lundberg for you? Like, I think this is probably, for me, the funniest character. But uh, what is it uh, that makes him such a horrible boss, Evan? He's just so condescending, man. Like, he's that guy who comes up to your desk and is like, Hey, you know that thing that I asked you a hundred times for, and I know it really bothers you every time I ask you for it. 
I'm going to ask you again in a more condescending way so that you definitely get me what I need. (laughs) It's like consistently that. It's the guy who just, he's the worst. And you can't say no to him because he's always going to have some snarky, terrible way to come back at you and just kind of like undercut everything that you do. He's just like one of those bosses that you you can't win over. Yeah. It's the comebacks i think that really drives this home you're right when he comes up to peter's desk and he talks about the tps report and peter says you know i forgot but i'll i'll get it it's not a big deal and he just keeps hammering away at that same point and so i think that's where they drive home the character and we've probably all had bosses like this or if you haven't count yourself fortunate They just won't let the issue go. You probably had a teacher like this if you didn't have a boss like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, think about it. Just going back to that scene, you're right, because that's like the first time that you see the guy, right? And here's Peter literally holding up the memo and being like, yes, I got it. Here it is in my hand. And the last thing he says before he walks away is, I'll uh, get you another one of those uh, forms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like, come on, I'm holding it right here. But to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him. Like I ha- I'm holding it. Look at it. You see it? You know what I mean? It's just so like condescending and such an like it's such a shitty boss. Like he's the worst. Gary Cole was saying that when he was playing the character, he said, uh, you know, there's a there's a couple of things that he was consciously doing. He's like, you have to be on a chemical in a way that like consciously forces you to slow everything you do down. He said, to be Lumberg, you have to absolutely be puzzled by when people don't understand something. Like, it's beyond your depth of, (laughs) like, how could this be? Like, it does not compute. Right. And so uh, there was actually a cartoon of this version long before. And this, so Lumberg was a character in a cartoon. And so uh, Gary was imitating the cartoon. But also that cartoon was voiced by Mike Judge and Mike Judge, the director, has a lot of these passive aggressive behaviors and kind of has fun doing them and so in a way gary was channeling just mike judge and doing so as he was on the set it's one of those interesting things like they shut it down like when he came in and did the read and he only got better and better as he did it mike judge even said like he enjoys doing his own lumberg and stuff like that so if people will ask him to move he just kind of be like um yeah yeah uh I can't really help you with that. <laughs> Kudos to Ron Livingston for not laughing, because it would be so hard as he's drawing that out, and I'm sure it was improvised to some extent. Like I would just lose it after the third or fourth time of him just drawing that scene out and just making it as agonizing as possible. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually had heard, uh, I heard something about Gary Cole. In the filming, they did a scene where... When his Porsche gets towed, he, like, had a really, like, visceral, angry response to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, Mike Judge, you know, cut it out of the film, and Gary was excited about it because he was like, Lumberg's character needs to be one note the whole time. And so to see him, like, get upset about his car would have, like, kind of, like, thrown a wrench in the character for a little bit. Yeah, that was the right call. Yeah, I like I like the agitated confusion of why is this not done like or why is this not right i think that's right that that's just the character so uh yeah yeah chad you want to give us a cast rundown we'd love to 
So first up, we've got Ron Livingston, who plays Peter, our unmotivated programmer and protagonist. Next, we've got Jennifer Aniston, who is Joanna, a waitress and our love interest. David Herman, we've talked about him a little bit. He plays Michael Bolton, not the singer, but a rap-loving software developer who uh, helps create the virus. We've got AJ Naidu, who plays Samir. He's another co-worker of Peter and co-conspirator with a really hard-to-pronounce last name. It's more of a running joke there. Uh, they actually don't list his last name. Uh, Diedrich Bader, who plays Peter's crude neighbor, Lawrence. You would know him from the Drew Carey show. Yes. yes. Oswald. I love him. I, I love everything he shows up in. Another great office show, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, Stephen Root, who is Milton, the squirrely guy who mumbles a lot, as one of the bobs described him. Got Gary Cole, spent a lot of time just talking about him. That's our Peter's first boss, Bill Lumberg. Uh, Richard Ryle, who plays Tom Smikowski. He's another one of co Peter's co-workers who is the one that doesn't really do anything. Uh, and gets laid off and gets hit by a car. I so know somebody. <laughs> I, I, I know a Tom Smikowski. <laughs> oh, yeah, we all, we all do. Alexandra Wentworth. She plays Anne, and that's the office's secretary. There's Joe Bays, who plays Dom Portwood. That's Peter's second boss. Uh, John C. McGinley, who plays Bob Slidell. He's the kind of tall, muscular Bob. You, you would know him from Cox on Scrubs. Yes, yes. Uh, and Paul Wilson, who is his counterpart, he plays Bob Porter. He's kind of the short, stubby Bob. Uh, Todd Duffy, who plays Brian, the overly perky and flared-up tchotchkes waiter. And last, I have Greg Pitts, who plays Drew. He's kind of this frat boyish co-worker. Ah. And also Orlando Jones. Yes, thank you. a very you. small part in there, yeah. Yep, he's, uh, he's selling magazines. Yes. Because uh, he can make more money doing that than as a programmer, which was a really <laughs> nice touch to show how fickle you know, and disposable he, the economy is. He is correct. He is correct. As <laughs> I write code, I guarantee you, people selling magazines. I read something that said that Orlando Jones based that character off of his niece, I think. Yes. Yeah, selling Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, which I think is just hysterical. <laughs> That's hysterical. He was a late ad. A lot of these characters, Mike Judge said that he didn't really have picked out. And I can't believe that because so many of them are so bang on, dead on what you need. There's so many memorable little people in this that to think that a number of those roles, like an Orlando Jones or like a Drew with his O face and stuff like that. Like these are really late ads that came on. And that's just a really hard thing to believe. Yeah. Yeah, I think. The only person he really had pegged was David Herman for Michael Bolton. Right. I just think it was interesting. He was tied up, I think it was with Mad TV, and he got himself fired to wind up getting this gig. He just wound up screaming all of his lines during a dress rehearsal, and they finally fired him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they said you would the, never work in Hollywood again. He, had, he came out of it with Office Space, which was great, but I'm not sure he was swimming in roles after that. 
Well, he does a lot of voice acting. So he did a ton on King of the Hill, Futurama. That's that's what he does now, his voice acting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for me, he'll always be Michael Bolton. Yeah. yeah. He's scruffy the janitor, Futurama. You know, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about, which I thought was really interesting, especially going back and looking at how this movie performed at the box office uh, and how it was essentially a disaster, like it just didn't do well. Jennifer Aniston at this point is five years into her friend's fame. And at that point, five years in, it's one of the biggest shows on TV. She's one of the biggest known people uh, in the like in the acting world. And here she is making an appearance in this movie. And, you know, it's a movie that's like not about anything. It didn't do well. It didn't. You know what I mean? It didn't do well until way later. And I always just kind of find that really, really interesting because nowadays you look at some of these actors who are, you know, in TV shows or in big movies like Chris Pratt or something. And you go back and you look like, where did they start? Okay, so Chris Pratt was in what? Deadwood, I think it was, right? Or no, was it Deadwood? I can't remember what the show he was on that was for uh, the first show. But it, it was some some show and then he went to Parks and Rec. And you saw how good he was in Parks and Rec. And then you're like, oh man, now he's the biggest star in the world. But for her, it was like, you know, she she started in Friends and she's the biggest, like in one of the biggest shows in TV history. And she does a movie like Office Space, which gets zero notoriety when it comes out. I just think it's, you know, kind of uh, I think it's kind of funny how like that whole thing worked out. I feel like this was an attempt to make up for Leprechaun. I was going to say, you were talking about humble beginnings and Chad nailed it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, she didn't get many other movie roles. Yeah, Friends was big, but I think that was part of the reason. I'd read that Kate Hudson had actually read for Joanna's part. Russell knows I'm a big Kate Hudson fan, but I don't really know that I want her in this part. I actually yeah. think she would have been very good as, in this as well. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Jennifer Aniston. I just, if, if you were in a vacuum doing casting and you tossed it out there, I think Kate Hudson would also do this very well. Yeah, yeah, I just don't want the... Uh, Fox wanted Ben Affleck and Matt Damon after Goodwill Hunting. That uh, that doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, the studio specifically wanted them to pursue Matt Damon. Uh, you're too handsome to have these problems, Matt Damon. Yes. <laughs> My wife would be fine with it. Yeah, on the on the topic of uh, you know Jennifer Aniston though, uh, Mike Judge said like to his surprise, he didn't see this coming necessarily. While promoting the movie, while answering questions and stuff, I mean. Almost all the questions always seem to be about Jennifer Aniston, and uh, she was kind of I, not taking all away everybody's focus, but it was, you know, there was a lot of attention specifically given to her, and he actually had not anticipated that. Not saying it was such a problem, but it was kind of one of those things of, you know, at least in the ongoing, that might have been one of the things that helped push it because it's not a heavy cast, you know? I mean, right. David Herman is not your favorite mad TV actor. Right. And Ron Livingston is I mean, this is these are this is the best role for a lot of the people in here. Yeah. Although, yeah. Gary Cole that's a he has a close second place for being Ricky Bobby's dad for me. Okay, well also, let's talk about Stephen Root. I yes. mean, Barry like the dude's one of the best character actors I've ever seen in my life. Oh, he's always good. 
he's always good. I feel like it's funny. I always see, I, you know, when I think of Stephen Root, I think of, uh, obviously, I think of Milton first, and then secondly, I think of Dodgeball. Oh yes, the same. It's essentially the same character, but like a little more illiterate, I guess. And then you know, you go and you have him like completely just break the mold of all of the the, the typecasts that he's been in. And just crush it with that, you know, that, uh, that Roland Barry. It's amazing. Get Out, too. He was, yeah. he was great in Get Out. That's right. Steven said a lot of people ask him, like, why did you go so over the top? And he, he is always like, I'm a little bit, you know, perplexed by that. Like, I actually, this is one of my most understated roles. It's, it's dialing it down yeah. so much. So if anything, it's extreme about it. It's extremely understated. You know, he said... We've all met one of these really weird people out there, and uh, he just gets lost in the details. He's like a perfectionist, but uh, you know, but on the outside, he's like a slob, and uh, he's not able to connect to people because of that. And I have to say, I mean, he is one of those people that uh, I think Mike Judge put it well with uh, just like, wow, you don't want to know what Milton does at home. Like, it's funnier if it's just right. the tip of the iceberg, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we had someone like that in one of my first jobs. I, I had a friend that was determined to make friends or at least not enemies with the weird guy in our office who actually had to go through training for how to interact socially with people. Kind of just wow. basically how to greet people. He was a bit strange, but my friend was pretty convinced that one day this guy's just gonna snap and go nuts on the office so it's like this is the guy that i want to be on the good side of so yeah get on the good side of the miltons in your office yeah or they might just burn it down yeah you might have a list at home like steve buscemi and uh, billy madison i i feel like that's the case i can absolutely see this guy uh, sitting at home, applying lipstick and <laughs> review, <laughs> reviewing the list. <laughs> Ajay Nadu was a hip hop dancer and from Chicago, and so like he's uh, very articulate, and so he's playing a character, this character from Jordan, and uh, that he was begging to have one of his break dancing scenes put into the movie, and Mike's like, I don't know that that would be, but when they're celebrating the uh, the uh, heist and. Uh, Samir's apartment and they they're break dancing Ron Livingston and David Herman are not dancing particularly well but then Samir busts out the moves uh he got his way there so that was uh him uh nagging the director like no 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 Samir would do this (laughs) (laughs) I love that though what a strange casting though they they said the character was supposed to be Iranian and then they hired Ajay who is Indian and they changed the character to Jordanian and had him learn a Jordanian accent. Like, that's a lot of work. Why not just have him be Indian? I don't I don't understand why it would have been funnier for the character to be Jordanian. They wanted a place that you weren't familiar with. So if you were from India, you could stereotype it and label it. Like Jordan, a lot of people would just hear and go, I don't really know much about Jordan. So, right. and they wanted somebody who was vaguely, are you Middle Eastern or are you Indian? Like they wanted you to question it but then feel uncomfortable about it and then just at the end of the day be like you know what i don't care and then he gets lost in the shuffle and that's so his character so that was that was deliberate on their part <laughs> i guess it just seemed really out of your way like I, I, to your point it may have been too stereotypical to have a guy from india working as a software developer but, right yeah you know, <laughs> maybe too on the nose 
Well, we could always do the, the short circuit way where you have a white guy play an Indian guy. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this this is a Mike Judge production that was an animated series, as I mel- mentioned before. So it was just called Milton. And it was Milton and Lumberg in it. And it aired on MTV's Liquid Television. And then uh, Night After Night with Har- Alan Harvey and Saturday Night Live, actually, as the digital shorts. All of this in the early 90s. This is before Beavis and Butthead and before King of the Hill. And Mike Judge goes on to have a lot of success with Beavis and Butthead mm. and King of the Hill. So this is a different foray for him entering into the world of live action direction. How do you think this goes for him? This was his first uh, live action film, I believe, right? Yep. Feature film. Yep. I mean, I don't know, you guys. Like, if you go back and you look at some of the the biggest directors in each of their own genres, you know, that they're famous for, and you look at their first films, is there a better first film? Oh gosh, that's a tough, that's, that's tough. It's tough. But I mean, like in the, in the comedy genre, your first film that you write and direct is office space, which is a cult classic. It's one of them. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you talk about, um, when you talk about original ideas and like original stories and whatnot, like this is for me, at least in terms of comedy, that's right up there. And for it to be your first shot at it, it's pretty dead on. No, he nails it for sure. Uh, he said it was very troubled though. And it put a lot of stress on him as he was going into the direction side of it. The whole thing kind of took him off guard. Peter Sheridan from 20th Century Fox approached him, wanting him to turn the Milton animations into a full-length movie. And again, he kind of told him, he's like, you don't want to know about Milton. Like, it's we've already not, we've mined this, but uh, after uh, thinking about it more, he started expanding it beyond the character of Milton and thinking about just a satire of the drudgery of the office work that he had lived in. So he had worked in an engineering company with a physics background. So he lived this world, and yeah. so it was something that he was able to do. I think one interesting story he said he had to alphabetize order forms in folders for like four weeks straight, and he couldn't zone out or daydream because he had to sit there focusing on alphabetizing the names on the on the order forms. So he absolutely lived the like, I don't like this. <laughs> that that is Peter. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing this even got off the ground. I look at one of the producers, his name's Michael Rottenberg. He's responsible for just a ton of terrible stuff that went on in the 90s. You've got Polly Shore's son-in-law, Biodome, Pootie Tang. Like, this is, this is not a good resume. It's like, this is what you produce. You know what? It's not a good resume when you look at it, like in terms of quality of film. But like, I look at Biodome as like a staple. You know what I mean? Like, I loved. That I'm, movie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say guilty pleasure. Son-in-law is kind of. I'm, I can, have, yes, I can have fun. I can, I can have sure. fun with that. Oh no! Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but this is the other thing too, right? I think I had found this out not too long ago, but. The the term ass clown was entered into the Webster's Dictionary and they credited Mike Judge for first using it in Office Space. Yeah, Chris Jericho is very thankful for that term. It's one of his favorites. 
Chris Jericho, yeah. It's, but that's like a term that people used for so long. And it was, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, uh, I don't know. Every Everything that I hear about this movie and the fact that it was his first live action direction, yeah. And then to know that it did horrible off the gate and then everyone else just kind of like loved it as it went to home video and whatnot. I think it's just incredible how that all happened. His satire is almost depressing how <laughs> on the nose it can be. I mean, I, I appreciate King of the Hill a whole lot more. My current boss actually sounds like Hank Hill. <laughs> His profile picture is of Hank Hill. But Idiocracy, I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's painful <laughs> how on the nose it is right now. And at the time, it's like, oh, haha, they're watering plants with Gatorade. But I bet there are people doing that right now. Yeah. I mean, another really good one that he later goes on to do is Extract. Right. It's a dark comedy that I, I, I really enjoy that one, too. And you're right. There's a sense of pain and satire in that as well. Yeah, Mike Mike has that touch. Yeah. I'm actually not a huge Beavis and Butthead fan. Don't don't throw things at me. I'm sorry. Sure. I think we were a hair on the young side, to be honest with you. Like, I think if we had been, I don't know, five years older, it probably wouldn't have been the, the right thing at the right time. But for Mike Judge, he said this comedy is again about authority more than it is just about corporate america so as he was writing it it wasn't just about hey offices suck it was right the people in charge suck that is just so awesome yeah finding the humor and the things that everybody experienced but hadn't really put to work uh put pen to paper on that one yet so yeah the don't you want to express yourself when she's doing <laughs> there's a clear rule she's following it like, yeah, but we really want you to do more, but we're not going to tell you to do more, but we want you to do more. It's like, yep, been there. <laughs> why not make why not make the rule wear 37 pieces of flair so you leave me alone? Like, what's the standard to leave me alone? Right. That's a really good point because this movie not only calls out the office culture for being a rough workplace, but through Joanna's character, you're right. This movie does a very good job of showing you that it sucks to be in fast in, in like fast food or the food service industry. Right. Oh, is yes. that isn't that Mike Judge also her boss? It is. It yeah. is. It is. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's unrecognizable with that mustache on. Pretty great. It's a pretty great cameo. Yep. And uh, it, well, he said it was just a matter of like they got down to the wire and they just didn't have somebody for it, and so he did it himself. He's got a couple of acting credits here and there, so. Um, yeah yeah he's a pretty funny dude from an actual acting standpoint as you can see with that character so he said it was a massive amount of responsibility and it was hard for him to do so he actually ended up leaning pretty heavily on his director of cinematography tim uh, shirstead to be able to help pull him through this process so uh, he doesn't make a lot of movies uh, going forward after office space it's only idiocracy and extract and there's big gaps between there that's two movies in 10 years He's much yeah. happier in the animated world. Well, and uh, Silicon Valley as well. Good point. Good that, point. That show. I mean, that was that was a huge success for so long. But that's a, that's even later though. That's like. Yeah, that's recent. That's recently. Yeah. It's 2014 to 2019. Yeah. So I mean, his projects. His he doesn't have a long list, but to your point, Evan, it's a it's a quality list. Yeah, it's more about quality than than quantity. Yeah, he was approached to do an office space too, still renting. And right. he just didn't want to do it. And uh, he actually didn't have a fun time doing it. Like, 
the the stress that he had so he didn't want to do it again yeah and i wish more directors would do this and just say it was perfect let it be let it be yeah peter jackson <laughs> yeah exactly now the pc load letter scene was not scripted david herman had more lines to say to ron livingston but he was interrupted by the photocopier jamming and didn't understand what the error message meant and so when you're playing an angry character you actually just channel it and so uh pc load letter was just like a spontaneous thing that like started going on and um mike judge loved it because he had actually had a lot of pain with a printer while doing beavis and butthead to america and so that actually built up to the scene where they carried out the printer in the field and beat it with a bat so between uh between this character spontaneously doing this and mike's uh past experiences as well mike had a good way of letting people riff and see where it goes and i think as a comedy director you don't get credit for this often enough because you're always told to move you're usually on a smaller budget like on this movie but to take the time to let the people who are the actors do their thing is really, yeah. really impressive. And he did that a lot with John McGinley as well in yeah. terms of letting him improv those scenes and the consultants. So I like the directors who give their comedy actors particularly leash and then see what gold they mine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. It entered the pop popular sphere so much so that things like Swing Line didn't make red staplers right right well they they did they did but then they stopped making them right is that what it was? i think i saw something where it was like they they had a red stapler and then they made one specifically for this movie and then it was requested all i can find is that it, they weren't making one at the time when they even wanted one for the movie so they spray painted it for the movie so okay. they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have one for the movie, so they made their own because they needed something striking on Melvin's desk. But people called the company and asking for them. And actually, bootleg companies were making red swing line staplers, and they were making a fair bit of money off of them. And so swing line brought the red stapler either back if they had it before or they introduced it, and it became a very hot seller for them. Yeah. And similarly, you can buy a Jump to Conclusions game mat as well. Yes. Guy made a million dollars. I wish they'd gone into more detail about that. I kind of would have liked to see it play out. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mat, and you can jump to conclusions. You know what was painful, though? The uh, So when he's doing the interview, the planning to plan, and there's just this really intricate diagram, that's real life now. We have this thing called agile methodology, and we have five meetings, one a day, every single day and then we have a sixth meeting to talk about what we did in the five other meetings where we draw up game plans and everything else i'm just like oh my goodness this is this is agile methodology in the background so just a little touches like that for set design and it may have even been ahead of its time but it's just it's painful to look at i don't think they did pick up on the the pointless meeting side of uh, the world now peter is probably stuck in the trenches even below that there's i guess that's the next tier up of middle management the, the the drudgery of that of what you're talking about like and i think you see a lot more of that in the tv show the office of just like another pointless meeting and michael scott really has pointless meetings <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I don't know if you guys, by chance, uh, you mentioned one cutscene earlier where Lumberg's car uh, is towed, but I really liked all of the deleted scenes and I couldn't believe how good they were and how many great things actually got cut. There's one where Peter loses it and uh, yells at Nina, the woman who answers the phone. It's like, corporate account, Nina speaking, yeah. just a moment. And like, like yeah. he yells at her saying like, you know, could you just please put the syllables in a different emphasis or something like that? Say something different. Mix in a few other phrases. Just for my sanity for the next 20 years. Yep. <laughs> it's great. I mean, there was another really good one where Lumberg uh, says you weren't at your desk at 10 a.m. And he says, I was in the bathroom. He goes, yeah, yeah. Um, I went in the bathroom. And, <laughs> and you weren't in there. And he, he goes, I must have been in the stall. He goes, yeah, I see. Um, so were you the one wearing wingtips? <laughs> and, and, and Peter goes, I don't remember. <laughs> and like Lumberg's just like looking at him like with this long pregnant pause of I know you're lying at lying to me. And it's just like, this is hilarious. How is this not in the movie? I always think that's amazing when you cut that much good stuff out because normally deleted scenes are just like, you know, I didn't need that. I mean, there were tons of scenes of John McGinley doing Michael Bolton takes of like, you know, (laughs) I am such a Michael Bolton fan. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess they only needed but so much of it, but so much of it was funny that wasn't in the movie yeah evan what did you think about the way that they shot this like in terms of where they chose to put it like did they did they nail the environment oh yeah i mean it's pretty it's i i can't imagine it being any more perfect than it is to be honest with you they even had that statue out front of a square peg in a round hole yeah exactly like it's it's literally perfect it's just so non-discreet and it's so like it could be anywhere in the US. Yeah, they shot this movie in Austin, Texas, but you're to your point, it's just this is everywhere. We all have yeah. these characterless office parks with these banal buildings that aren't aren't very well thought out so often and they're surrounded by a sea of parking and and you sit in that traffic. I'm really glad they put the traffic in the beginning yeah. of this movie because that's such a part of that suburban office culture that you have to sit through. The the studio told them to put it in a downtown setting. Like in a yeah. they wanted a Wall Street feeling or like a Brazil, you know, the city and the, the and he said, No, no, I want this to be unglamorous. I want it yeah. to be bleak and I want that mundane stuff. So by putting it in a high rise in New York City is over celebrating what you do. It, it makes it matter less if it's shoved right. out next to a TGI Fridays or tchotchkes. <laughs> cool. They even say, uh, thank God it's Friday. One of the customers does. So. Do they? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't even trying to hide it. They shot it at an alligator grill. But it's, That's what it was, yeah. And, and if you want to eat there, you can't. It closed in 2009. Sorry. Way to be a buzzkill. Yep. But if you have a time machine, <laughs> you can yeah. eat there or a hot tub and no guarantees that the waiters look like jennifer aniston well yeah yeah in my experience no no they do not <laughs> but you might get the other guy <laughs> <laughs> the worst 
Actually, in, in a movie with Bill Lumberg in it, I might want to be around that guy even less. Uh, wardrobe, any things that you want to point out? Personally, with like the, the next few things that we have coming up, I mean, I would say in terms of the wardrobe, it's all it's all perfect. Like, if it was anything more, it would have been too much. If it was anything less, it wouldn't have been enough. They give they give Samir brighter colors so that there's more focus put on him because like when they look across the office meeting room, everybody's got these like drab yeah. colors. And Michael sticks out. He's got like these nerdy short sleeve shirts right. with a very uncoordinated tie. Like you would not wear Michael's tie with his shirt. This has been Russell the Fashion Police. No, but I mean they're 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 pointing out his nerdiness and his awkwardness as well. So I mean I, I thought they did a good job of having this nerd who feels stepped on, feeling like I I should be running this place, and that anger that builds inside of him, and you know it's been there his whole life probably, and so that was all in one character. I mean I think you pointed out well, Evan, that he is everywhere America. Milton's glasses were awesome. Oh God, the Coke bottles, <laughs> so good. <laughs> They did do a subtle good job of pointing out that Michael actually isn't great at his job, so he's angry for no good reason. When he messes up the virus and he says, I always mess up the decimal point, that's a big flipping deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, but going back to the glasses, Stephen Root said I could not see in them. I wore other contacts to try and double correct, but I had to practice my motions of where i was going to put my hands on my desk and where i was moving ahead of time because i i was basically blind and i could not see <laughs> he said it was hard i had no depth perception so like i would reach for the cake and then miss it that actually would be pretty funny though the the, the cake to people ratio with <laughs> <laughs> this movie flexes a lot of gangster rap did you like that unexpected pick, Evan? I gotta be honest with you. I think that this uh, the soundtrack in this movie is like one of my favorites. I remember like <laughs> so many ridiculous songs, and I had never heard them before. And then once this movie came out, and again, like I was, you know, I was talking about my friend Will earlier. Like the two of us would like download the songs or download like the the CD and the soundtrack and would just sing them in the car. Like we knew all of the words to all of the shit. It was just so ridiculous to me. No, I was just saying the, the soundtrack is absurd, but I, I, I loved it. It was one of my favorite soundtracks uh, that I can remember. Because it feels good to be a gangster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of it was funny, but I honest, I, I'm going to take a different take here and say that I didn't care for the soundtrack. It it feels odd, and I, I don't think this is just 2020 sensibilities, but it's weird in a mostly white movie to hear the N-bomb drop that many times over a bunch of white people doing things. Sure. Uh, so, you know, PC police go uh, go nuts on me. I'll, I'll be that guy. But it just it felt awkward to me. It is so perfect for Michael, though. I mean, he's such an angry guy, and that makes perfect sense that he would listen to that. And it's, yeah. especially especially when they show it, like, the first time you see his character. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Like, you see him there, and he locks the door when he sees the guy come up to his window. Yeah, the black guy selling flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's right at the line where the N-word's about to drop, and he's he cranks the music way, way down. 
and then locks the door. Yep. Chad, you and I have this mutual friend that, like, one of our best friends, like, you know, he's a nerdy white guy, but he loves gangster rap. And, you know, right now somewhere he's being a lawyer somewhere. So, I mean... Yes. So, I mean, it is awesome and fitting and it, somehow it, it's a different kind of that, that type of person's out there is my point. And you're right. There's not a there's not a, there's not a black person in the office at Inatech. Right. One thing that I thought was interesting, the opening music was actually my only picking point, which was not gangster rap. They had like this fun kind of sounding bright, cheery music while he's in traffic. And I kind of thought easy listening, like elevator music or something like that, like airspace or something like that or would be the perfect thing to like have that like I'm about to break the slow burn kind of thing. I, I don't I don't get why the festive it's called Mambo Number Eight and I guess that's one of my favorite ten Mambos apparently. <laughs> Next to Mambo Number Five. Yes, the the fifth is the fifth is best. I think it's like a little treat as to show you where the movie is going to end up with Milton on the beach. It does make sense there. Cool. You know what I mean. So I think I think it's just one of those things where it's like it just depends on how you look at it. And for me, I look at that song. I like I always love that opening song because it's just it's so upbeat, but it goes against what you're watching. Yeah. I mean, you're getting passed by an old man on a walker yes. as you're sitting there it's in traffic and you literally look out your car windows like I think I could walk there faster. And I have had that horrible feeling for sure driving to a godforsaken office park like that's just like why am i driving 30 minutes out of the city i live in the city why am i driving 30 minutes out of the city to get to this thing and then like a 30 minute drive turns into more <laughs> yeah that scene sets the tone though but the studio didn't yeah. want any of that rap music in there they, they they pushed hard against it and mike judge said he would only take it out if the test audiences didn't respond well to it and it was unexpected and the printer scene and other parts of it just really were enhanced by that. And the audience loved it. Yeah. The studio backed off and said, okay, you got your music. Good thing you weren't in the test audience, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Some of it was funny. Some of it just too much. All right. You ready to hand out some awards, you guys? Let's do it. MVP for you, Evan. I think the MVP of this is Mike Judge. I just think that he crafted... Obviously, there was a lot of challenges from what we've heard and uh, the stories that we've heard about this. But what he crafted was a damn near perfect workplace comedy that I think will live on until workplaces are no longer existing. Uh, it is beloved for sure. That's a great pick. Chad, what about you? Yeah, I can't argue with that one. For me, though, it's Ron Livingston. I just feel like his apathy is almost contagious even the small subtle things he does like when he's afraid to touch the doorknob because it's going to shock him <laughs> i love that scene it, it's just so true to life at this point it's like all right you do a great job even with the small things yeah, yeah. now i'm gonna i like your mike judge pick but i'm gonna stick to what i wrote down here i, I i'm gonna go with gary cole as bill lumberg because nice i mean he's the ultimate movie horrible boss yeah for sure there are a lot of great choices in this movie. You almost can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Now, perhaps this one will be even harder, I think. Best supporting. Well, I mean, for me, I'm going to take your I'm going to take your Lumberg choice here. I'm going to go Gary Cole for best supporting. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's the same reason. He's the stereotypical boss. He wasn't the main character, but when you think of bad, well, at least when I think of bad bosses from movies, he's the he's like a number 1. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree with you there. 
<laughs> for me, it's it's David Herman. He has the movie's best lines, and I actually had written this before you guys had described it, but his simmering rage, and it just is. It's on a simmer all the time. It's just hilarious, and you feel for him. Just that little guy waiting to snap. I'm going to go with John C. McGinley, the Bob Slidell, the consultant. He is so funny, and uh, his presence is... Like, he's excited to be laying people off. He's got a big, giddy grin on his face, and it's just <laughs> so funny. And Oh, he's gone. Yeah, like, like, wait a minute, you're going to give, you're going to lay Samir and Michael off, and you're going to give me more money? And, like, he licks his lips and blinks real hard, like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he reminds me of a younger John Cleese. Ah, oh, that's a great, yeah, I... great way of putting that. Yeah. He's, he's physically funny. His timing, his sharpness with his words is great. And Mike Judge said that he was always intense. Like, he was always ready to go, and he always had another funny thing to add. That's just partially who he is. And I think we see that even more so on the TV show Scrubs. I mean, he's very quick. So Yeah. Have we ever had both MVP and Best Supporting Actor be three for three different people? I don't no maybe yeah i can't remember the last time that has happened but it really that's a testament to the cast in this and, yeah and to mike judge that's so cool yeah yeah hidden gem my hidden gem is, is stefan root i think that i mean this is the role you know in this movie like you said uh, that this whole thing is based off of that milton character and you get just enough of him in this movie to where what he does at the end makes sense and I think that, you know what I mean? Like, I think that going forward and to see like where his career has gone since this and everything else, like, I think he's the, the hidden gem for sure. Yet, yet, and, and, and the squirrels were married. <laughs> and the squirrels were married. <laughs> <laughs> that part killed me. <laughs> exactly. The radio rants of just, I was told I could play my radio between the hours of, and <laughs> it just keeps going going i know milton but could you just give me a one day break I, I i don't see anything wrong if nina can listen on her headphones then i was told that i could listen at an acceptable volume oh god it's perfect it's perfect i really do think it's perfect he's like my three-year-old he just wears you down with constant talk <laughs> <laughs> all right chad who's your hidden job it's mike judge for me is joanna's boss not just because he wasn't really credited but I think he did a great job of just being a jerk and just antagonizing of, hey, I'm going to nag you over something that's not really a rule, but I'm going to flex my power. Yeah, absolutely. Great pick there. And I went deeper. And Mike Judge is a really good one because you're right. He does such a good job at that waiter uh, pick. So that's those are both wonderful choices. I went I went deeper for this one. I'm going with Kina McIro. Uh, she plays Nina. And she's the yes. she's yeah. the woman who answers the phone of, you know, just a moment. Yeah. Now, Milton, make sure everybody gets a piece of cake first. So pass it. Oh, yeah. She's great. She's such a buzzkill. She's so irritating. She's so excruciating. This is this is somebody, you know, you've worked with or work live near or something. She nails it. Great job. She just she grates on me in all the right ways. <laughs> as you watch peter just die a little bit inside <laughs> uh now let's go with the recast if you had to recast somebody and we talked about how perfectly the cast is this but 
Evan, if you have to recast somebody and put somebody else in their place, who's it going to be? You know, I thought about this for a long time, and it, it, this is going to be it's going to be part of my hot take. So I'll save I'll save what I'm going to say for the hot take. But if I had to recast someone and, you know, just someone that might be able to do a comparable job, I was even thinking someone like Jason Siegel to take over for Ron Livingston. Oh, that would be mm. pretty good. You know what I mean? Someone, again, who's understated, really good with like the the low key emotions and playing it completely straight. You know, he did Jeff Who Lives at Home. He did so many great roles where he plays like these characters that are just so um, complacent with where they are, so to speak. And I feel like him in that role would be kind of like a, a comparable comparison to what Ron Livingston did. He does Broken in a funny way. Yeah, yeah I like that choice. Yeah. Great. Sure. That was fun. Bold pick, too. Uh, Thank you. Now, uh, <laughs> Chad, who would you recast? Got to go after Richard Ryle as Tom. I thought he did a fine job, but he actually... Oh, you've jumped to some conclusions on this. <laughs> yeah. I, he looks a bit similar to Peter's other boss, Dom, and the uh, the smaller Bob. I, I actually kind of lose him. So I think I'm going with Jason Alexander. If nothing else, he's got a more annoying, grating personality. His voice stands out a little bit more. You definitely would get a bigger performance out of him. And I think the scene where he comes out in the parking lot panicked would be very powerful in his hands. Like, of like, do you know what this means? Mm, not good. <laughs> not good. I George's office scenes in Seinfeld were always some of my favorites. <laughs> That's a good. Yep. Uh, that is uh, that is for sure. Sleeping under your desk is uh, I'll never forget that. The walking with purpose with a clipboard. As long as you were in a hurry, I have put that into practice in my life. Look like going out on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my recast, I'm going to go after Paul Wilson. He plays the role of Bob Porter. He's the older, fatter Bob. So I praise John McGinley, and I don't think that the other Bob brings much to the table. And I want to say that when you've got such a good comedian as John McGinley, I want to give somebody who's going to let him go back and forth and have a good dynamic with them. And I almost put John Goodman in the other part there as as an older pick but then i actually thought david spade would be somebody i really <laughs> want to see firing people i mean the guy who coined the, yeah the guy who coined the phrase bye-bye but i mean he plays this jerk this callous cold guy who'd have fun doing it i could see him giving the other bob a high five and being like i'm gonna cut uh, him and like mckinley would be like what i wasn't gonna cut him he was like yeah, yeah let's cut him he's like all right let's do it <laughs> I, I just, I think that there's an opportunity to enjoy those consultant scenes, which are some of my favorites, which we will see here soon. So best shot of the movie, Evan. I mean, this is a tough one. I think that uh, one of my favorite shots is like that first time when you see like the printer smash onto that open field. Yes. I think that that like when because you by that point in the movie, you just know what that means to them. They, they, they change it. They slow mo it. They they kind yeah. of like have the, the, the cameras. What would you say? Panning and rotating a little bit like in a swaying yeah. kind of way. Like you've almost entered this like dreamlike state. It, it had to be influenced by the sound of music because I look at that and I see Julie Andrews spinning around in the Alps in that field. And it's just only. I'm not a big gangster rap fan, but 
is it i wonder if it's parodying a specific video oh maybe i don't know i don't know either gotta call up that one friend yeah <laughs> call up the lawyer call up the lawyer <laughs> an angry lawyer <laughs> um chad best shot when peter takes down his cube wall it's a clever way of kind of showing freedom you get this big shot of the outside and there's even like a little bit of fake wind and you never really see natural light from the office until that shot great choice yeah that's actually a strong image of the movie that's that's really good there's a scene where tom who you would recast is walking with peter samir and michael and they go into an irrigation culvert that's rather pronounced like this isn't like a normal landscape but like it just shows you that they've forced this office kind of like this square peg round hole concept of the whole movie and it's reinforcing that like through the land and like tom's like can't even walk up it like he's out of breath and like he's trying to keep up with them and in that same way like this can't be the intended way to walk there but it's the most efficient way of walking there so the like it was not considered from the human experience and mm. I just really liked how that spatially reinforced everything that they're dealing with uh, throughout the movie. And th that single point perspective, long shot of this mundane parking lot was great. Yeah. Ar architecture points, surprising. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> There's not much architecture points in this movie, I, I, I have to say. Yeah, Chachi's doesn't do much for me. <laughs> now, uh, Evan... What is yes. the best scene in the movie for you? To me, it's the printer scene. <laughs> like, for real. I think that I think that again, like by that point of the movie, you know what that means to them. And them being able to get out their frustration on like the smallest little inconvenience in that office. Uh, to me, it was just the funniest thing ever. And then when Michael Bolton goes down and just starts punching it with his fist yes. and like the shards just shoot up from it, it's the, like, to me, that is like the funniest and most memorable scene of the movie. That's definitely it for my wife, Mary, as well. Ch uh, Chad, what's your best scene? <laughs> yeah, we're finally going to have something in common here, which is, it's been fun having the different selections, but the printer scene it's probably going to get less relevant as time goes on, but for right now, it's still hilarious in the iconic moment of this movie. Why does it say paper jam when there is no paper jam? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, my best scene is actually going to be Peter interviewing with the consultants. It's the, I'm going to go in here and blow it off, and somehow it surprisingly goes well for you. Well, I come in about 30 minutes late, and I space out for an hour. Space out? Yeah, I look like I'm doing work, but I'm not. <laughs> In any given morning, I only do about 15 minutes of actual work. <laughs> like, I don't care. You don't care. <laughs> I have eight bosses. Eight? I'm sorry. Eight <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. How many was that? <laughs> I mean, it sets up the subsequent scene of just like, you know, I think he's a sharpshooter straight for uh, management. Uh... Yeah, I don't see that. <laughs> so that's my best scene. Change one thing if you had to change one thing and one thing only, Evan. This one, I had some, uh, I had some thoughts on. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure on what I would change from this movie, but maybe something that I would have changed is uh, them actually getting away with it, mm. like actually getting away with 
uh, stealing the money and going to do something else. You know, Mike said that he was not pleased with the end, but the studio liked it and they pushed it through anyway because he wanted to like, he's like, I'm not like when he turned it in to Fox, they were kind of like, yes, let's do this. This is great. And he's like, I'm not sure about, I don't think I like the ending. And they said, yes, do it. Yeah. I'd kind of like Lawrence to wind up with it, see what he does with 300,000. Yeah. (laughs) Two chicks at the same time. (laughs) He already answered that. Yeah. That was for a million. 300,000? I don't know. I guess uh, one chick. (laughs) (laughs) One chick at the same time. (laughs) One chick at the same time. All right. uh, Chad, change one thing. I touched on it a little bit. Some of the music made me laugh, but others of it just made me cringe. So I I think I'd change up some of the particular rap songs they chose. You can keep the rap music, but some of the ones they chose just, yeah. Is there is there one that's not uh, working for you? Do you not like a shove this J-O-B? <laughs> You're asking just about the whitest person short of Donny Osmond. <laughs> Uh, but Michael Bolton broke down those walls. Anybody can listen to this music, Chad. You too can listen to this music. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying, uh, whiter than sour cream over here, asking to identify rap songs I didn't like. I don't know. They call me Mayo, <laughs> short for mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weird Al's White and Nerdy was written about me. Oh, there you go. Well, then that was good work. Then I like that song. <laughs> Um, my change one thing is going to be, I'm not really pleased with the resolution of where we end up with Joanna and Peter. I don't yeah. need to go out on that, but it's, it's ambiguous at best where they're going to go. We know that Peter goes on with his job and construction and he's happier taking a lower paying job. It's just not that. And, uh, I have a feeling Peter's the flaky guy who f- will fall into five other things in the course of his life. He, he goes all in over anything that he comes to and, uh, that, but I, I don't know where we landed with Joanna and Peter. So that's my, he, he said she's going to pick him up. Yeah, I, I guess, but I, okay. This is not really like a payoff there. I know what you, I know what you, yeah, I want to see it. Like the, I didn't feel like the scene in Tchotchkes was particularly great when he was like, get a room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> slingers yeah that's the last thing that we that's the last thing that we see yeah she gets a different job i guess so i i don't know i something i you can tell i want something more i don't know what that is yet so uh best quote of the movie i still say it i'll catch myself saying it every once in a while uh and i'm just gonna do it full full tilt right here samir naga Naga, not going to work here anymore am i right <laughs> <laughs> now imagine david spade saying that uh, I'm just saying it's just it's such a perfect it's a perfect character trait it's a perfect line for that guy to say it's just I don't know that one for me was just like the one that I always think back to very good what about you Chad this one rings true for me that's my only real motivation is not to be hassled that and the fear of losing my job It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one I feel like there's some there's some uh, I I first person uh, feelings in that one. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I actually just I gotta go with the lumber. Uh, Milton, we're gonna need to uh, go ahead and move you downstairs into uh, storage B. We've got some new people <laughs> coming in, and we need all the space we can get. So if you could go ahead and get your stuff packed up and move it down there, that'd be terrific. Okay. <laughs> When he, when he tells them to do something about the cockroaches, <laughs> that's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> that was immediately followed by, excuse me, I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, Lumberg, I, I on a regular basis, like if I feel tedious at work or if feel like something doesn't make sense, I definitely will look to my coworker and be like, yeah, we're going to need you to move your stuff to storage B. Yep. <laughs> so, now, are there any other runner ups that you wanted to throw out there? I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's plenty. I think, uh, I think one of the ones that I actually did love was between Peter and Lawrence. And it was that one, it was that one scene where it was like, you know, let me ask you something when you come in on a Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say, sounds like someone's got a case of the Mondays. (laughs) And then Lawrence goes, no, 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 man. Shit. No, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. (laughs) The first time he looks at him, he goes, no. And then he like gets more indignant about it. No, man. <laughs> and to me, like that, that why I laugh so hard at that. Like now when I was a kid, I didn't really understand it. But like he's a construction worker. No one's going to come in and say that to you. Of course not. <laughs> it just shows you the difference between the mundane jobs that people have. You know what I mean? It's so funny to me. Yeah. Chad, any other runner ups for you? Why should I change my name? He's the one that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that was great. <laughs> I like the uh, Tom. Like, well, well, look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers, so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. <laughs> I'm good with dealing with people. Can't you understand that? What the hell's wrong with you people? <laughs> All right. Anybody with a hot take before we go? Okay, I've got a hot take. I've been I've been prepping this hot take for a long time. My hot take is that this is a perfect movie and there isn't a single thing that I would change from it. Ooh, that sounds Ooh. like a... That is my that is my hot take on this movie. It's perfect. Actually, so it sounds like so it sounds like you're on the five-star realm as we shift into ratings. I I think in terms of what it tried to do and the category that it exists in as we move forward and, you know, into uh the later, uh, you know, as it gets more and more, like 20 something years old at this point, I genuinely feel like for what it is and what it's trying to do, it's a perfect movie. Yeah, well said. I uh, I made fun of Russell for this uh, two podcasts ago during our Kiss Kiss Bang Bang podcast. Check it out. Uh, but now it's time for me to be a hypocrite because I'm going to do the exact same thing. I'm going to take the one female character and say she was entirely pointless in this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and Russell's hot take was get rid of the girl. I want more guy, guy on guy action. The, those are <laughs> Russell's right. words. Check it out. But uh, yeah, same thing here. The guys were the, the main focus. Jennifer Aniston movie probably wouldn't have done as well. And she actually does a great job of being fidgeting and awkward. But her role was just, it was pointless. I think she represents that. I think Mike Judge actually said that uh, she represents that like pretty girl who like just goes for those slacker guys. She has no ambitions. She's not going anywhere in life. And that's a typology that would latch on to somebody as like Peter is crashing himself. And she's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to get on this ride. So. (laughs) Oh, she had great scenes. The scenes with Mike Judge were good. I enjoyed everything about it. But at the end of the day, I looked at him like, "Eh, we don't really need this character here. Okay. Okay. And I guess if I had a hot take, it would just simply be, I don't think you get the TV show The Office without the post explosion of love Mm. that comes from this. And I'd be sad if we didn't. Yeah. I could see that. Now, Chad, what would you rate this movie on a five-star scale, half-star intervals? I'm going four stars. It's 
funny, but I think I, I actually lower the rating a little bit because it's frustratingly accurate and it makes me both happy and sad simultaneously. It's such a strange space of like, oh, this is this is actually a reflection of my life. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that makes it better for me. I, I, I think back to those engineering office days and I, there's just so much humor that helps me get through it because of that. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the five stars. I'm with Evan on this one because, yeah, you know, it's in my top 100 comedies and that's, yeah. that's a high benchmark for me. For sure. Same here. Oh, yeah. that, that's my favorite genre. So Evan, why don't you tell us where one more time about superficial intelligence and where we can find that? So superficial intelligence is a an intellectual comedy, tech-based comedy that exists on the Ficto app, F-I-C-T-O. I am the co-star and co-writer of the show. Um, it's a great quick little watch if you want to, you know, spend a half an hour on something different. It's got high production value, and hopefully soon I will have more things coming to that app and across the board in uh, other other ventures of my career. All right. Can't wait to see it because I'm just learning about it myself. There you go. And in 10 years, we can talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next week? I would love to. So we got three movies. The first movie is Silence of the Lambs from 1991. We have a young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer and a madman who skins their victims. Option two, The Dark Knight from 2008. When the menace known as the Joker wreaks havoc on chaos on the people of Gotham, Batman must accept one of his greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight injustice. And option three, Seven from 1995. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses seven deadly sins as his motives. Man, that's a great lineup, and we can put this down in the show's history. Chad isn't going to choose the horror movie this time. I have to go with Dark Knight. Gotta get our superhero fix in. Looking forward to that one. Sounds great. Evan, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yes, yeah, thank dude, you. thank you guys so much for having me. I always love doing movie podcasts, even if you don't know the other person that you're speaking to. The one thing that you have in common is you have a love for storytelling, you have a love for movies, and you have a love for getting lost, you know, fulfilled through storytelling. And so um, even though the, the, the three of us have never spoken before, I feel like, you know, this was a great conversation and a, uh, a great experience for me. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on that note, if you want to be on the show, email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. We're always looking for new people. Like the show on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at at movie underscore retro. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your shows. And those ratings and reviews really help us build the show up and get it out to other people. So uh, 30 seconds to give us a five-star review and a a rating really helps us out. And we love doing the show. It's free for you, but it's uh, not for us. So anything you want to contribute to the show, uh, www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Anything that we contribute, we appreciate. So uh, thank you so much. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? We all have clear motivations for killing our bosses.